gut tell you? I mean, mine usually says, come on, man, let's go get something else to eat. I mean, I'm just ready to go for the next thing. But, but what does it mean, this, this notion of your gut telling you something, of having a gut feeling, of going with your gut or thinking with your gut? Well, it means to go with your instincts. So going with your gut, it, it doesn't mean that you make some rash, foolish decision because you have an empty stomach. Nor does it mean that you make some silly, sluggish decision because you're a steak lover and you just finished off the old 96er at Paul Bunyan's cupboard. You know, it's, it's not a sluggish thing. It's, it's not a, an empty thing. To go with your gut means that you're going with information you already have. You're going with experience that you already have. You're going with feelings that you already have. It's not randomly going with your gut. It's going with informed instincts. It's going with informed intuition. It's not going to be because your stomach's empty. It's not going to be because your stomach's full. It's going to be because you've already got a story going on. You already have something happening. You are already pulling some things into your life. It's like having a, a smoothie of logic and emotion. It's, it's all mixed in together. But when you think with your gut, did you know that your gut is actually kind of a second brain? Yeah. The scientists call it the enteric nervous system, or ENS. It's about 100 million nerve cells running through your digestive system, and those nerve cells help your digestive system make decisions. So scientifically, technically, thinking with your gut is a real thing. It, it really happens with your old second brain in your gut. But what about thinking with your soul? What about thinking with your soul? As Christians, we use terms like soul or or spirit. An atheist might use a term like consciousness or awareness, but everyone believes that there is something on the inside, some kind of inner source that defines our existence and our being. So, what's happening with your inner source? Because see, that inner source, regardless of what you think it may be, that inner source defines your thoughts, your actions, it defines your gut, it defines even what happens to you after you die. So what are the instincts of your soul? What are the intuitions of your soul? In these days of frustration, in these days of fear, in these days of anger and arrogance and apathy, in these days, does it matter what the instincts of your soul really are? Let's see if we can find out. Jesus was talking to his friends. In just a few hours, he was going to be arrested and executed. And so we could say these are kind of his dying words, so to speak. And so what does Jesus say to his friends just hours before his death? Let's find out. John chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my in his final hours, this was not the only time Jesus brought this up. This was kind of on and on again. He kept talking about two things with his friends, love and obedience. Jesus expected if you loved him, you would obey him. 
But Jesus also knew that people would try to find ways around obeying him. So if we were to to modernize maybe this and expand on a little bit, today Jesus might say, look, if you love me, you will do more than just pray a sinner's prayer. You'll do more than just get baptized. You'll do more than just be a part of the church. You'll do more than just volunteer in the community. You'll do more than just attend on Sunday morning. You'll do more than just stream in your pajamas. You'll do more. It's as if Jesus would say, if you love me, you will honor me on Sunday and all the other days too. And if you love me, you will not just look out for your own family and your own business and your own health and your own retirement and your own hobbies, but you will look out for others. You'll consider their thoughts, their feelings, their situations. You'll look at their lives. You will want the same kind of health and happiness that you have. You'll want it for them too, if you love me. If you love me, you will want people to hear the gospel that have never heard the gospel before. You will want people to hear the gospel that are nothing like you. Yes, you'll want the gospel for yourself because it is great and it is grand and it is glorious, but you'll also want the gospel for your family and for your friends and for orphans and for the homeless and for people in countries that you can't pronounce because if you don't want the gospel for those people, then you do not love me, right? I mean, that's what Jesus said, right? He said his charge was make disciples of all nations, of all people. So if we love him, that will be our desire as well. So how do we love Jesus and keep his word? How do we, how do we keep the word of Jesus like that? I mean, do we write it down on little pieces of paper and stick it in our pocket and pull them out all day long reading them? Do we go buy a, a, a version of every translation of the Bible and line them up on the shelf and every day read from one of them, you know, just to make sure we keep ourselves spread out there? Do we go down to Wally and Juanita's, you know, tattoo parlor and get Psalm 23 inked on our arm? Those are outer, outer, outer things. Those, those are outside things. So you can do outside things with no change on the inside. You can do a lot of outside religious things and never actually keep the word of Jesus. How is that even possible? Well, here's why. See, keeping the word of Jesus is fueled first and most by love. And love works from the inside out. So the picture of keeping the word of Jesus means that it's not just stuff we do on the outside. The inside becomes the priority the inside becomes the first and greatest place that we should put our attention. Jesus gives us a picture of the inside with his next words in verse 23. He says this, And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Now this math is getting crazy cool here. So, if you love Jesus, you'll keep his word. And if you keep his word, it's like you're giving God a key to your heart. If right now you are believing in Jesus, if you've already believed and you are continuing to believe in Jesus as your ultimate source of salvation and satisfaction in this life and in the life to come, then that means 
that the one true God of the universe has made his abode with you. And, and not even just, just God. I mean, Jesus gives this language, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have made their abode with you. The one true God of the universe is a resident of your heart. That, that's the picture. Now, what does that look like? I ain't got a clue. I mean, I, I don't have human terms to explain that, right? I mean, if, if you get a new neighbor and you see your new neighbor, you know, standing in the front room of their house unpacking boxes and, you know, they're unpacking their baseball card collection, they're unpacking their, you know, ceramic bluebird collection, they're un- unpacking their collection of David Hasselhoff albums. I mean, you see them doing things, right? I mean, you see them. They're inside the house. They're in the abode. You got it. You pay attention to it. We don't have that type of, oh, I can just see God. You know, there's this little picture and I got a cross on my heart. We can't see it. We can't explain it in human terms. But isn't Jesus kind? Because Jesus gives us an amazing picture of how we can determine if God is in our abode. And what is it? Do you love God and do you obey God? That's what Jesus says. Jesus says, do you love God and do you obey God? If you are loving God and obeying God, that's a picture that God has taken up his abode in your heart. Now, somebody might say, that's that's way too simple. It's just way too simplistic. There's got to be more to it than that, okay? I mean, come on. I mean, I mean, I I volunteer in the community. You know, I I, I prayed a prayer when I was at camp one year in the summer. I, I was baptized on Easter Sunday. I've been a member of the church for 33 years. Come on, there's, there's a lot of things out there, and I can't say that I obey God all the time. So there's, there's got to be something else. Some of these other things, they've got to count too, right? Look, we're, we're not making a list and checking it twice here, okay? We're not giving out attendance badges for Sunday morning. We're not giving out streaming badges online, and we're not giving out guilt trips either. We're simply repeating the words of Jesus. And Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, said, If you love him, you will keep his word. If you love God and obey God, that's the clearest evidence that the God of the universe has made his abode with you. It's the clearest evidence that you have a divine, heavenly resident in your heart. So, what's a practical recipe for all of this? What's a a recipe for the inside, for the inner stuff? What's a a recipe that helps you start thinking with your soul instead of just thinking with your gut? What's a recipe that will help you start thinking with your soul instead of just thinking with your social media feed or just thinking with your favorite political website or just thinking with your favorite opinion or just thinking with your favorite ideas or just thinking with your latest binge on Netflix? In other words, what's one thing that can help you love Jesus and keep his word? One thing that you can do starting right now now that will help you think with your soul, love Jesus, and keep his word. Here's one thing. Just, here's just one. Meditate. Now some of you are going, what? I'm supposed to go sit in the corner and cross my legs and light some incense and close my eyes and hum real loud? 
I mean, look, if you want to do that, have at it. But that's just not what we're talking about. This is something completely different. See, that type of meditation usually comes with this kind of instruction, empty your mind, empty your mind, empty your mind. But that's not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is fill up your mind. Fill your mind up. Not like a buffet, because what happens when you eat a lot at the buffet? You can't think. You know, you can't move. So it's not a, not a buffet thing. It is more like having a great meal. All right, let's, let's chew on this for a second. Think of that moment. What's one of the best meals you've ever had in your life? What's one of the best meals? What did you eat? Where were you? Who were you with? What do you remember about that meal? You got it? Now, here's the thing. I'm going to take a stab that none of y'all are thinking about a buffet right now. You know what you're thinking about? You're thinking about a nice restaurant, or you're thinking about a meal that your mom made, or you're thinking about a feast at grandma's house, or, or maybe a picnic in the mountains. There's, there's this thing connected to that meal. See, I'm no different. I can taste my mom's butter beans right now. I can taste them. I can taste my grandmother's rice right now. I can taste the apple dumpling at SNS Cafeteria right now. I can taste it. I can taste an egg salad sandwich from the Masters right now. I can taste it. I can taste my ribeye at Maurice Lopez's house 30 years ago on Super Bowl Sunday on Franciscan Desert Roads, China. Yeah, I mean, I got that meal. I can taste it. I can taste my Caesar salad downstairs at the Capitol Grill on my honeymoon in Little Rock, Arkansas. I can taste that salad from that night. I can taste, oh, by the way, a shout out to uh, the Wileys who are driving back from Arkansas right now watching us online. Y'all be safe. Have fun. I can taste my lamb chop from this little side street bistro in Waynesville, North Carolina on my first anniversary. I can taste it. I can taste my Neptune burger from Neptune's in Boston about five years ago. Like, I just took a bite. See, that is different than a buffet. See, a buffet is you're, you're mowing through your plates because really you're just trying to get to the chocolate fountain, right? I mean, you're just trying to get to the soft serve ice cream machine. You don't care about all this fried food. I just need to get to the dessert bar. See, we mow through the food, but, but that's not what we're talking about. A good meal is one that you sit and you enjoy. That's why I can remember those things. They were delightful meals, and I sat and enjoyed them. That is what it means to love Jesus and keep his word. It, it means that you learn how to sit and enjoy truth. You meditate on truth. You marinate on truth. You chew that truth up. You enjoy it. See, I keep going. I got all kind of food stories and food memories I can share with you. But you know what I also have? I also have some truth memories. See, I can remember Miss Tootin pressing me graciously to memorize my first Bible verse, Luke 2, 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I remember that. I can remember sitting on the floor outside of a, a friend's door in high school who was really struggling and reading Jeremiah 29 through the door. 
I can remember the sound of, of the creek and the mountains running right in front of me as I read through Isaiah 40 and for the first time felt like I caught a glimpse of the providential sovereign God that we sing to. As I read that when God looks on us, we're like grasshoppers. We're, we're like ants because he is so big. He is so holy, holy, holy. He is so other, other, other. I can remember the shuffle of people all around me in the airport in Cleveland as I was reading Paul's letter to the Corinthians and for the first time I discovered the truth behind that everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial. Do whatever you want, but your freedom comes with consequences. And if you're free in Christ, you won't want to do whatever you want. You'll want to follow Jesus. That's what it means to be free. See, I got the food stories and and I got the truth stories because the reality is this is the truth of what God's Word does to us. Now, someone's thinking, ah, you're a preacher. You're supposed to remember all that stuff from the Bible. Can I just tell y'all and just confess that I really do have some strange Bible learning deficiency. I mean, I'm not even kidding. Like, I I just, I don't know what it is. I mean, I can remember all those foods, but I struggle in studying the Bible. It is a huge struggle to me. One of my pastoral heroes years ago said that he's a very slow reader, and it just encouraged me so much, because I am too. But studying the Bible, is just it takes so much effort, and so much doesn't stick with me. And that really bothers me. It frustrates me. I mean, I've tried all the tricks. I've, I've gotten advice from friends. I memorize, I read, I reread, I, I study books. I mean, I do everything I can. I can remember that steak at Maurice Lopez's house 30 years ago, but if you ask me what I preach on last Sunday, I'm going to have to stop and think about it. And it really frustrates me. But for whatever reasons, some of you and some of my other closer friends, y'all retain the Bible better than your pastor. But you know what? It's okay. <laughs> Because I've tried everything, but it's okay. And here's why. Because all that means is that I have to stay closer to the Word. And I'm cool with that. I have to stay closer to God's Word. I have to give it more energy. I have to meditate more and marinate more and chew on it more. And that's fine with me. Because it helps me see who He is. It helps me love Him and keep His Word more. So how do you do that? I mean, really, how do you do that? Well, first, let me just say this. Don't beat yourself up, okay? Don't beat yourself up if you're not a scholar. If God's gifted you to be a scholar, then be a scholar, okay? Be a biblical scholar. All of us should be to some degree. But don't beat yourself up, and don't be lazy. Just read the Bible. Just read the Bible. Meditate on the Bible. Marinate on the Bible. Just let God's Word be a part of your life. How do you do that? Years ago, I read this just kind of simplistic tip, and I love it, and I use it as often as I can. And that is take a verse and emphasize each word in the verse a little more. I may have shared this with you before. I'm not sure. But, but for instance, Jesus in John chapter 11, what did he say? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And so the idea is you take that and you just camp out on it part by part. I am the resurrection and the life. 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 I am the resurrection 
and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. That's not just some, you know, catchy tool, just some way to repeat words. That helps us say, oh, now I know who I'm loving. Now I know whose word it is I'm trying to keep. I'm getting a picture of who this is. Jesus is the life. If you're a believer, the reason Jesus is your life is because Jesus is the life. Now, some of us, we do. We, just, we got skills. God gave it to us. And we can, we can read tons of the Bible and, and retain it and use it, and that's great. But if all you can do this week is get through one verse a week and camp out on that verse and just marinate on one verb or one noun or one pronoun or one adverb or one adjective just just from that one verse. If you can get that one verse, it has tremendous value for your soul. It will help your soul begin to think. But why do we hear sermons? Why do we listen to the Bible? Why do we read the Bible? Why do we sit in Bible studies and they, they just don't change us? You know, I mean, we hear a sermon and we like the sermon and, and the sermon has some good things or, or we have a devotional that we read and, and there's some really great story and we love it for like maybe an hour, but, but it never really changes our life. Why is that? Well, part of the reason is we don't meditate and we don't marinate. We don't camp out and spend time on the truth that we've heard. It just kind of rolls through our mind and, and rolls out. Thomas Watson said this, The reason we come away so cold from reading the Bible is because we do not warm ourselves at the fires of meditation. So warm yourself a little more this week. Just warm yourself a little more by the fires of God's truth. Meditate, marinate, chew on these things. Help your soul get good instincts for thinking. I was reading the other day about Richard Baxter. He was a pastor in England in the 1600s. Listen to this list of his chronic health issues, okay? Kidney stones, headaches, bleeding, toothaches, swollen feet, and and there were more. Chronic health issues like that. And yet, for all of his health issues, God used him to evangelize almost his entire town of 2,000 people. How? Well, here's at least one reason why. Baxter made it his habit to spend every day a half hour thinking about heaven. 30 minutes thinking about heaven. Now look, I'll be honest, I don't think that means that he went over in a corner and thought about pearly gates and golden streets for 30 minutes. I think he went and thought about his true home. A home that neither a moth or rust or thieves or political conflicts or pandemics or gas prices or anything else in the universe could ever touch. He went and thought about home, his true home. John described that place like this, Revelation 21. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. No more. 
his song, Heaven is the Face, singer Stephen Curtis Chapman, he described it this way. But in my mind's eye, I can see a place where your glory fills every empty space. All the cancer is gone, every mouth is fed, and there's no one left in the orphan's bed. Every lonely heart finds their one true love, and there's no more goodbye, and there's no more not enough, and there's no more enemy. No more. That will never be true of this place. I hope you know that. Those things will never, ever be true of this place. They are only true in the kingdom of God. They're only true in heaven. They're only true in the Christian's home. So if those things are waiting for us, no more enemy, no more of all the things that just disrupt us, why would we not spend 30 minutes thinking about home? The recipe for thinking with your soul is to love Jesus and keep his word. And the way you love Jesus and keep his word is you think about home. You, you think about these truths. You, you think about what he's done, what he is doing. And again, if you can memorize First and Second Chronicles in 17 minutes, more power to you. We love you. But if you can't, it's okay. Just find your place. Find your spot. Begin to work your way through the scriptures. And meditate, marinate on what you read. Let it begin to soak into your heart and your mind. Because I can promise you that if we do that, something will change. It's impossible. God said his word will never return void. I promise you, social media will return void. I promise you, your favorite political website will return void. Whatever you watch on TV will return void. Of course, if you're watching the sermon right now, a little different, but you know. But not God's truth. God's truth will never return void. Remember, the goal is for us to love Jesus. The goal is for us to obey Jesus. It's not to wear a bunch of Bible pins on our Bible pins on our shirt saying we've read a lot. It's to love Jesus, to keep His word. David Mathis said this: In our restless and stressed-out society, it very well may strengthen our brain and lower our blood pressure to practice the art of Christian meditation. I think he could be right. He goes on to say this, but even more significant will be the good that it does for our souls. Listen, be good to your soul. Be be good to your soul this week. Read and meditate and marinate on God's Word. Just enjoy it. Enjoy it for the truth that it is. Soak up the truth for what it is. And, And here's the great news. As you do that, You're not alone. Listen to what Jesus said down in verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And I love this. And bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. I love this. Jesus said, look, until I come back again, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you a new best friend. I'm going to send you the helper, the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit going to do? The Holy Spirit is going to help you remember all the stuff that I said to you. 
The Holy Spirit is going to help you remember that the greatest treasure in your life is knowing Jesus. The Holy Spirit is going to help you remember that loving Jesus and keeping His Word is the greatest thing you can do for your heart and your mind and your soul, and for that matter, for your gut. He helps us see and understand that there is nothing that delights our soul more than Jesus. So, I ask as I did last week, what are you most angry about right now? What are you most afraid of right now? What are you most sick of right now? What are you most apathetic about right now? Whatever it is, whatever the answers to those questions are, what the Holy Spirit does for a believer is comes into that anger and that arrogance, that apathy, that fear, whatever it is that's going on, and reminds us of what Jesus said. And here's what Jesus said. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Always. Always. See, the Holy Spirit will will help us remember that. When, when our moment of discouragement and darkness feels so heavy that it'll never go away, when our frustration or our anger or our fear or our worry seem to be dominating our minds and our attitudes, the beauty of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit reminds us you are not alone. You're not alone. Now listen, there's no president, no senator, No representative, no pastor, no coach. There's no parent, no spouse, no boyfriend, no girlfriend. There is no one who can make that promise to you and keep it. They can't. But the Holy Spirit can make that promise for Jesus because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And Jesus loved you and gave himself for you. And nothing can change that. And no one can change that. The Holy Spirit reminds us that is true. The Holy Spirit reminds us we are not alone. And that's why we meditate. That's why we marinate so that we can go, oh yeah, these things are true. They're true. Just two more things real quick. Both of them from across the pond. I heard an interview recently with Paul McCartney. And he said something very interesting. He said, when my uncles came home from World War II, they were the most positive people you could possibly be around. Doesn't that sound crazy? Doesn't it sound crazy that that men who experience things that none of us have experienced, that we don't know anything about, that those men would come back from a worldwide war? And he said they were some of the most positive people to be around. They were like, okay, here we are. What do we need to do next? How are we doing as Christians with having that same attitude? We have the gospel. 
We have the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the ultimate victory over all wars, whether those wars are military or disease. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the King of kings. We have the Lord of lords. We have the lover of your soul. We should be the most positive people on the planet. We should. We're not, okay? Let me just confess that for all of us, all right? We're not. But we should be a little more. So I just want to graciously plead with you. One of the reasons we meditate and marinate on the Word of God is it changes us. It changes our fear. It changes our anger. It changes our frustration. It changes our worry because it is the gospel. It is the great and grand and glorious news that Jesus saves. Nothing can change that. So we meditate and we marinate and we chew on it because we need to. We need to. One more word from across the pond. John Newton is known most famously for being the author of the hymn Amazing Grace, but he wrote at least 281 other hymns, probably more. One of my favorite hymns that he wrote has some very simple words. They're the kind of words that help us think about meditating, help us think about marinating. They're the kind of words that we want to mix into our recipe of how our soul thinks. And those words go like this. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. Why? This is what he says. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. Let's pray. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fears. Father, help us see that is true. In Jesus' name, amen.